Welcome to the Supply Chain Intelligence Podcast, powered by Jarrett. We'll take a deep dive into a freight market analysis and provide key strategies you can use to maximize organizational efficiencies and guide data-driven decisions to make your business better. Matt Wagner will be your host, and this podcast was recorded on December 17th, 2021. Morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us today for our first podcast of 2022. I'm your host, Matt Wagner, Vice President of Sales and Marketing with Jarrett Logistics. Looking back at 2021, that was a challenging year for supply chain disruptions, to say the least. Uh, We had Suez Canal obstruction early in the year. Our ports are backed up. We've got all kinds of labor and driver shortages and capacity challenges that we're working with. But on the bright side, the economy is still going very strong right now. Today's podcast, we're going to make it very conversational. We're going to be discussing what happened in 2021. More importantly, we're going to talk about indicators to pay attention to in 2022 and also how we can navigate what's coming ahead in 2022. So uh, joining me today, we've got a couple people here from Jarrett Logistics. Uh, We've got Matt Angel. Matt's our Vice President of Logistics Operations at Jarrett Logistics. We've got Jacob Ackerman. He's our manager of contracts, analytics, and intelligence here at Jarrett Logistics as well. I'm going to have you guys introduce yourself. Matt, do you want to kick things off and just tell us a little bit about yourself and your roles and your responsibilities? You bet. I'm Matt Angel. I'm the, as Matt said, I'm the vice president of logistics operations here at Jarrett. I've been with the company about 13 years, been in transfer, uh, third-party transportation about 25 years, uh, pretty much all my working life. And I am responsible here at Jarrett for all of our customer-facing operations. That's all of our customer service group, our carrier and customer contracting, our truckload brokerage, and all of our uh, business intelligence and carrier management functions as well. Great. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for joining us here today. Jake, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, so this is Jacob Ackerman, uh, Manager of Contracts, Analytics, and Intelligence. So what that tells is uh, have a team of individuals that work through uh, contracting, which is pricing with our, our carrier partners, um, analytics, such as uh, looking at potential freight studies um, and finding solutions to uh, problems or, or uh, pricing-related concerns there, and uh, also in charge of our claims department and in t- business intelligence department uh, and our advanced analytics. So uh, thanks for having me today. Uh, looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks, Jake. Glad you're here. I think to really understand where you're going, I think it's very important to understand where you're coming from. And so uh, before we really kick things off and get into next year, uh, Matt, can you talk to us a little bit more about 2021 and, and what where we're coming from and what just happened this past year? Sure. So everything that happened in 2021 is a, a direct reflection of where this economy um, found itself in March and April of 2020 with the the big slowdown due to COVID. So as it relates to transportation and the general economy, um, March and April of that year, we basically had the economy go into almost full shutdown mode other than a few essential services. Um, Just a lot of uncertainty, a lot of health concerns, a lot of unknowns out there. Um, The vast majority of the working population went home to work. Uh, In a lot of industries like ours, um, working from home wasn't something we'd ever even contemplated, let alone had to put into action. So um, economy shuts down. Um, Generally, the transportation economy is a low margin economy. High, um, high cost, low margin economy. So what the carriers in general did, this would be truckload, LTL, intermodal, drage carriers, furloughed somewhere in the neighborhood, anywhere from 25 to 60% of their staff on average, about 40% of their dock workers, drivers, office staff, uh, were all furloughed in that March and April timeframe. And uh, about late June, early July, as we wrapped up the second quarter of 2020, the economy started to pick up again. Uh, most of the carriers that we talked to started calling back pretty much 100% of the people that they had furloughed at that time. And we found ourselves in a position where only about 50% of those that were furloughed returned to work. 
Uh, the major reasons why they didn't return to work were uh, just general fear uh, for their own safety, being back in the in the work environment, but also the the unemployment benefits, the extra unemployment benefits that were extended to the federal government at that time, and they stayed in place for over a year. So, what we found our where we found ourselves in the second quarter of twenty third quarter of twenty twenty is in a capacity shortage, and that capacity shortage has. Um, stayed with us all the way through uh, the end of 2021. And that's really unprecedented. We've been through many economic cycles and transportation before. Typically, there'll be a little bit of a bump in the economy. <clears throat> um, pricing will go up accordingly. And there's no discipline amongst the carriers. And one carrier will start buying trucks and adding capacity, hiring drivers. And then the capacity will catch up with the demand in the economy. And then pricing comes back down. Usually, that's just about a six-month cycle. It doesn't take too long for all of that to happen. Had a very unique set of circumstances in the summer of 2020 in that there was demand for transportation, but there wasn't labor. You couldn't go hire drivers. Nobody could. It wasn't that one carrier had trouble, but another segment was fine. You couldn't find them for driving a FedEx or UPS parcel truck, driving an LTL truck, over-the-road truck drivers. Everybody was in the same situation. As we moved into 2021 then, there became a massive uh, microprocessor shortage. And you've heard of it as a chip shortage. So if you don't have chips, can't build trucks, can't make trailers, everything uses chips now. So where normally the carrier market would go out and buy new equipment, hire new drivers and create capacity, there's no new trucks to buy, there's no new trailers to buy, and there's no labor pool to pull anybody from to come and drive trucks. So we are in a sustained period uh, going on 18 months now of a shortage of all of those things, equipment, drivers, and what that does to the freight market is it pushes pricing up. And we're there now as we end 2021. Um, all the data that we look at on a daily basis here at Jarrett in order to keep ourselves and our customers informed tells us that there's really not going to be any change in 2020 as so as we, as we move into the new year, uh, we've got a lot of uh, exciting data to, to share with you just to keep you informed and make you uh, prepared and to plan. One of the things that we're telling our customers going into the new year is you got to get out of the hunker down mode. Hunker down mode is, hey, if we just sit here and wait this out, uh, we know we're thin on inventory. If we just wait it out for a couple of more months, everything's going to change and everything's going to be fine. And that's not the case. So as we move into 2022, it's a well-known um, throughout the economy that we are at record low inventories. People are trying to um, get more inventory. We've got all kinds of supply chain disruptions internationally and domestically, and there's no quick way to fix those things. Uh, we'll get into a couple of ways that some of some of our clients, the people we're talking to, are working on fixing those, uh, but they're going to be long-term. That's good. Seems like, obviously, we're in unprecedented times and have been for a period of time now. Um, Great information on kind of a recap there, Matt, just in general. But, you know, Jake, can you kind of share on and continue on from, from Matt's perspective on what we're going to see in 2022 heading forward? Yeah, obviously, I mentioned unprecedented times, and and I just don't see that changing uh, without any solution to the current problems that we've seen that Matt's described, such as capacity issues, port problems, uh, trailer manufacturing, staffing issues. Um, uh, a further consolidation of an LTL market. Uh, there's just so many uh, changes going on right now. Um, and we'll look into each of these as we go, but uh, we just haven't seen a fix. So to, to point out one big one uh, would be the port problems that we're seeing right now. You know, the issue Matt had kind of brought up that in March and April of 2020, everything shut down except for the essential business. So what, what was essential about the ports and what was essential about uh, creating a problem and a bottleneck at the ports was the uh, medical supplies that was needed during that time was essential business and it was required. It was something that was demanded all across the, all across the world globally um, and the largest output or producer of those goods would be China. Um, and so China was sending uh, a unprecedented amount of containers to countries all across the world, places that they had never done business with before, and can, providing that there was so much uh, output from that, those locations and uh, to these new facilities, the staffing just wasn't there to, uh, to quickly or adequately 
unload the freight. Um, there was a backup at the ports all across the, the globe. Uh, there was a further um, depletion of equipment, uh, such as the empties that were, once they were unloaded, getting them back and the chassis that were required to unload them in the first place were stuck. So um, that's really where we started to see a bottleneck in the ports. Uh, and because of a quick uh, rebound in the economy, we really never saw anything uh, led up to provide an outlet for those materials to be uh, offloaded, caught back up so that the normal consumer goods that were being purchased because individuals weren't going out and eating, they were purchasing furniture, they were purchasing dining room tables because they weren't going out to eat every day like we used to. I mean, when I looked around in my own home, I was like, man, we didn't have all this stuff. Back in 2019, we would go out and eat. We didn't have like 15 different kind of kitchen gadgets for XYZ because we weren't cooking this often. Um, but we were stuck at home doing all these things. So we were buying so much more. Um, so that's kind of where the bottleneck started on the ports and why it really hasn't let up is big push for medical supplies. Then there was a big push for e-commerce and parcel goods. Uh, we just really haven't seen a let up since then. Uh, one one point on that is individuals might tell you that things look like they're a lot better at the ports now because they look out their window, they're not seeing as many uh, cargo ships out there. But the difference is, is that there's a new metric uh, for what are a new queuing system for those cargo ships out on the ports. So they're not bringing as many in within 40 miles of the, of the shore anymore for pollution type situations to avoid uh, having so much congestion there. What they're ending up doing is just having slow tracking cargo ships coming into the ports and you're not seeing them off the coast, but they're still there. There hasn't been a let, there hasn't been a slowdown of that at all. And it's not getting better up until this point until we find the staffing, the empties, the chassis to handle all of the freight there. And it just isn't a, a viable solution. Um, so we need to construct some warehousing opportunities, more chassis, manufacture more goods, but that all takes more freight coming into the United States. So that's why we looked at this and said, this isn't a 2022 solution. Uh, this likely will, will fall into you know 2023, uh, but there's things that we can do up to that point. So anything on that, guys? Well, one of the things, Jake, as you talk about the ports, we had a prospective client come to Jarrett to ask for help with some international and we got some freight data from them and noticed that they had been paying four to 5,000 to move a container from Shenzhen, China to their facility in Columbus, Ohio. And we got their invoices from them and they're paying $35,000 a container for what used to cost four to $5,000 to move in as well. So definitely some, some of the ocean carriers taking advantage of that congestion, but there's also a high cost to it too. If you've got to spend three weeks with a crew and a boat, spinning circles out in the Pacific Ocean out of, off of LA or Long Beach, that three-week time frame is exactly how long it takes you to get back to China to fill up another ship. So it's more expensive to operate a container ship for these reasons, and we're the ones paying for it here domestically. That's a good point. And really being in Ohio and here in the Midwest, we may have, we have a lot of customers that have a lot of uh, international overseas freight that's coming in. But for some of those companies that don't necessarily have that part of the business in their supply chain, does that still have an impact on their business as well? Like what's going on at the ports if they're not involved in importing exporting business? Yeah, sure does. So one of the solutions and um, uh, Janet Yellen, our uh, Fed chairman, just made this suggestion today or this week is that everybody needs to start onshoring. You need to start buying all of your domestic supply here. Well, first of all, the people producing anything domestically here don't have any input, so they can't make anything for you. Their production is scheduled out many months, just like everybody else's is. So that's a long-term solution, and we've seen it. Um, one of our earlier podcasts this year, we talked about a story with Peloton, um, the manufacturer of treadmills and exercise bikes. <clears throat> they got into this early, so they got uh, started their nearshore nearshoring in the summer of 2020, bought a company in North Carolina, retooled it to make their own supply here because they were having to air freight all of their shipments of Taiwan is where they were, were still are made to a certain degree, but that's where they were made. And the ocean congestion was so bad, they were missing delivery dates last Christmas to their customers. So they started purchasing 
uh, cargo aircraft and started air freighting shipments in here and just cuts into their profit. So far, it wasn't worth it. So they bought a competitor in North Carolina, retooled that factory and are now making their a good portion of their product domestically. But anybody who's going to try to kick off that strategy right now at the beginning of 2022, you're years behind and everybody's thinking of doing the same thing. It's a good strategy long term, but it's not going to fix your problems in 2022 or 2023. It's yeah. a good update on what's going on in the ports and how that affects us here uh, domestically. But let's take a deeper dive into domestic transportation here in the U.S. and North America in general. <laughs> Yeah, I think we'll kick it off on small parcel and then go from there because um, the way we look at this is it's been a it's been a parcel up problem. So pandemic starts, we lose some truck capacity as we talked about before. But then, as Jake mentioned, everybody's at home now and they're buying things. And the, the e-commerce boom was a well-documented boom in 2020 and 2021. Right now, as we stand here at the end of the fourth quarter today, uh, FedEx and UPS are handling 37% more parcel shipments than they did in 2019 at the same time. And that is just a huge increase. Uh, the fourth quarter of this year, FedEx and UPS combined uh, on a daily average, were unable to pick up five and a half million packages a day from different shippers across the country. And when there's five and a half million uh, small packages sitting around, they get put on a pallet, they get shrink wrapped, you hand a bill of lading and try to give it to an LTL carrier. And then LTL can't handle that freight. So they start looking to jettison some of their hard to handle and less profitable freight. That moves into truckload where there's also not capacity, just exacerbating the problem here. I think Jake's got a little bit more data uh, and, and some specific examples on on what that freight looks like, the problems it's causing, and what carriers are doing about it. That is that is pretty interesting, though, as far as like, and Jake's got a ton more detail we'll get to in a second, but just the observation of like how one segment of the North American supply chain from a freight mode perspective, how one piece of that affects every piece in general uh, was interesting as far as uh, kind of parceling up, as you put it. Yeah, and, and really the more small pack parcel whatever terminology you want to use to describe freight that's you know not normally on a skid um that is getting put on a skid now and shipped in an ltl environment the more the more that there is of that that's normally pretty good freight i mean a single skid of something's going to be a min and it's going to operate fairly well for the most part um in a network and what that does is as there's more of those pickups available it pushes those higher volume shipments into like those six to 10 skid orders that used to be just the bread and butter of the LDL industry. Uh, what it's really done is it's pushed that into a place that those are no longer profitable. Uh, you know, they're pick, there's just too much. They don't have, there's so many pickups now that they can't afford 10 spots for one shipper. Um, so what they've ended up doing is, is putting some pretty harsh, restrictions on those or very hefty fines or pricing surcharges on those to make sure that they're uh, compensated for using up a good portion of the trailer. So that's a big part of what the small pack, small pack has done from a freight standpoint. The other thing that small pack is- One question for yeah. you real quick. You mentioned like those one skids or mins. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more on what you mean by what the min is and how that compares to the yeah. six or 10? Yeah, great question. Orders? Great question. So like if you would ship a, a, a skid of something uh, at 50 pounds, let's say in a parcel environment, that sounds really realistic. The cost of shipping something small, easy, the handability of it's pretty, pretty risk-free just considering it's not- difficult to even move that by hand. Um, whereas if you would ship something that's maybe, let's say 500 pounds, the cost of those, because it's a percentage off of a base rate, uh, it's up to a minimum fee, uh, which if you're not operating in the LTL environment, it's a difficult thing to calculate, uh, which is why you should be working with experts in the first place to handle this. Um, but the difference between that 50 pounds and that 150 pound shipment, you're going to get hit with the same charge because there's a minimum off a percentage um, and it's all weight based. So you're paying for additional weight that you're not actually utilizing 
in that shipment. So that's why it operates pretty well with the carriers. I got you. So that's almost like a minimum charge that the carrier needs to make in order to be profitable for the, on a package yeah. or a shipment or what have you, depending on what mode it is. Exactly. And just to get in there uh, to the dock and provide a pickup. So uh, that's the charge to just go in and do that one, one pickup. So without any additional uh, handability or stowability problems there. So, uh, but yeah, again, so the small pack has created a pretty interesting dilemma in relation to the amount of freight in the network. But another thing that it's done is as there's more of it, there's a need for more drivers within that industry. Um, So what that has done is it's really impacted the pool of drivers that were available previously in the uh, trucking freight trucking environment and moved it into more of a local general freight environment because the ability to get home every night for a driver or the ability to handle 50 pound uh, packages instead of these you know 2,000 pound skids and the manual labor that's uh, needed in the trucking environment there's a big there's a big benefit and pros to uh, working in that local freight environment so recently data from the FTR, uh, mentioned that, you know, we've added uh, 5,600 payroll jobs in the four trucking, uh, four higher trucking environment, which they mentioned is the numbers have just now exceeded pre-pandemic levels. But the thing that that doesn't show, and, and also what they um, discuss in their article is that the big gain in these for higher driving positions is actually within the local environment. And and you can see it looking out your door. I mean, we were talking the other day about uh, sitting in your living room at, at some point uh, in 2019, you'd look out and maybe see, you know, one Amazon or one um, small package vehicle sitting outside if you lived in a residential area. I mean, I, I'm sitting in my living room now watching a, a football game. And if I, in a four hour time frame, I feel like I've seen, you know, six or seven of them uh, on the street. So, you can see that those drivers are being pulled from somewhere and often they're being pulled from the, the freight environment. Shoot, it's like all all hours of the day too. I mean, it's eight or nine o'clock at night and they're still yeah. dropping stuff off on your doorstep. Yeah, that's <laughs> crazy. Seven days a week. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing about it is the pool that you can get into that is a lot less restricted than it is in the freight environment. So there's some regulations on who can drive these, you know, 53 foot trucks or, or these freight trucks in comparison to these local freight deliveries, that's really limiting the pool of individuals that uh, is available to the, the freight environment. So that's another big problem um, that's going to continue to to climb if there's not some adjustments moving forward. And, and there are uh, policies that they're looking at doing, like lowering the age limit um, for internships in a freight environment for you know, 18 year olds to start driving. And and that would be a really viable solution to getting some internships in there, having, you know, 18 year olds start learning how to drive these trucks so that they can safely, uh, you know, start a career at a, at a younger age compared to, you know, right now, what, what ends up happening is you've got kids that go out, try and trade for a couple of years, maybe aren't as successful as they would like to be in those uh, environments and then the trucking industry gets these 21 year olds who have failed in maybe some other uh, industries and that they just uh, end up finding trucking down the road. So well, getting Jake, them early on would be a benefit to the industry. Well, Jake, I've got a 16 year old who's got some 18 year old friends and yeah. having any of them behind the wheel of an 18 wheeler <laughs> would be introducing its own risk to the environment yes. as well. Yeah. So and as I understand it too, the insurance industry, if a trucking company is going to put anybody under 25 in a driver's seat, there's an elevated risk from an insurance standpoint and then elevated cost. And that cost is just going to get passed on as well. So while it might create some capacity, a solution like younger drivers might also introduce some more cost yeah. uh, to the network as well. Yeah. And what the capacity issues with the drivers already has already leveraged the drivers to be able to, you know, talk about a higher pay range regardless. Mm. So, you know, it, always including more candidates into the um, pool will hopefully while it's higher on the insurance side of things would maybe 
uh, be able to allow the carriers to leverage a little bit more uh, pool of individuals that they can work with. Yeah, that so. makes sense. I know some of the carrier partners that, that we've got really good relationships with are telling us that um, for, for some of their for some of their lanes and some of their longer haul lanes, they're paying drivers upwards of $100,000 a year to drive right now. At some point to a 20-year-old kid, that's got to be attractive. I, I know going to college right now and getting out of college, you're getting out of there with a bunch of debt. And chances are you're not starting uh, out by making $100,000 a year to pay down that debt. So at some point, uh, this, these driver pay ranges have got to be attracting um, the next generation to come in and drive also. Yeah. You know, one of the other things in the LTL environment um, that, that's been well documented and that we talked to a partner about as well is in 2019, one of the major uh, LTL carriers sent a, a pickup and delivery driver out. They're able to do 20 average of 26 pickups a day in 2019. And that's down to 20 pickups a day in 2021. And the reason for that is Everybody's got a labor shortage at, a, at the manufacturing and the warehouse environments too. Everyone's having to sit and wait longer. And those dwell times, as the carriers call them, are going up. So if you're going from 26 pickups a day down to 20, you got a 20% drop in productivity, which means you need more drivers, you need more trailers, you need more tractors to make the same amount of pickups you made in the past. And that's just more cost. So there aren't any more trucks, there aren't any more trailers, there aren't any more drivers. So helping out these drivers, if you're a shipper out there, get the freight loaded fast, get them out of there, make it make it easy for them to do business because the carriers are getting more and more sophisticated about costing out how long it's going to take them to make a pickup at your facility. And everybody's rates aren't the same. And certainly as, as technology allows carriers to make data-driven decisions, they're going to look at where they're spending the most time. Uh, on pickups and deliveries, they're going to cost that out, and you're going to pay for it eventually. So make sure that that you're you're getting your drivers in. Make sure you're getting them out as soon as possible. It's going to be a long-term benefit to you and to the network in general. Yeah, and, and, and as a guy that is analyzing stuff all the time, a guy with a math major degree, a manager of intelligence, <laughs> manager of, of business intelligence, and uh, helping to analyze things. I think what exactly what Matt's talking about is. Are you analyzing, you know, how to help a carrier get in and out faster with maybe uh, increasing your shipping hours by an extra hour? You know, is it can you provide overtime to an employee for an additional hour um, so that you can get a higher volume of carriers available for pickup, which would reduce your overall costs? Um, on transportation in the long haul. Have you analyzed? Have you looked into that? Are you working with an expert to help you make those decisions? And that, and that's key to, you know, a successful partnership with your carrier, as well as a successful analysis of your business and making sure that you're providing costs to the end user. To, you know, are you, are you passing that through? And there's a lot of overhead to the transportation industry that we're just not, you know, analyzing on a regular basis, and we're not passing on to our customers, uh, which is something that we don't want to do, but for business continuity, is something that we need to be aware of and, and need to do. So, so Jake, as a, a matter of public policy, uh, it's, it's been paused right now, but there's a lot of talk and an OSHA regulation um, that's been, been stalled right now that would require vaccines for any company that employs more than 100 people. What impact do you see that having on on the capacity pool that's out there right now, if it was to go through, yeah, uh, two parts to that. One would be on the you know the actual individuals on the docks shipping out freight. I think you know in in discussing or looking on any news platform or any social media platform, you're going to see there's a strong resistance to it, um, and people are willing to you know have a heavy stake in this, no matter what perspective we have here. Uh, the thing is, is people feel strongly about this and they're willing to stop working for a certain amount of time or with a certain business. Um, so it will create labor shortages uh, with our shippers, which will further delay 26, you know, the metric you gave for, you know, what used to take, uh, what, what used to be able to be picked up was 26 shipments a day to 20. You know, you'd see that drop even more because there's longer dwell times. You're paying more in fines for detentions, uh, which is that dwell time charge. And then you've also got the carrier side of things, which is the ATA put out a, a recent survey. The American Tra Trucking Association uh, came out with a recent survey that showed that around 37% of the drivers uh, that were conducted in the survey 
would leave if the mandate applied to that trucking industry. And in an already fragile and restricted and heavily regulated uh, job and industry, that would be crushing to um, the industry as a whole. Um, and we would see a lot of problems there. So really two-pronged uh, concerns and things that we should be watching out for in 2022. Uh, <laughs> again, it would just be imperative that you would have great relationships and uh, an expert to help you find uh, capacity in an already tough environment. So, so that's kind of one of those things that we've been talking about for years is be, be, being able to become a preferred shipper. And from our perspective, as a third-party logistics provider in space, you know, our goal is to become a preferred 3PL so that it makes it easy for carriers to do business with us as well as with the shippers that we work with or just shippers directly. But in a market that we've been in since the pandemic, I mean, this is more important than ever. And it sounds like that's what I'm hearing you mention as well, is anything that you can do to make your business more attractive to work with companies are more willing today than ever to be able to look at alternatives to make it more appealing so that they can get their freight on the move, on the move and be able to get trucks that can come in and, and do so. And the piece, the only piece I would add to that, Matt, is there's a very small percentage of the shipping community that's doing any of that proactively. Everyone, most everyone is doing it reactively. And when you're in the group of 95% of shippers who are reacting to changes in the marketplace, your ability to survive and thrive in that environment becomes that much more difficult. Doing it proactively, like the Peloton story we described, that that's the that's the way to get it done and to stay ahead. And that's a huge competitive advantage for you in the marketplace right now is being proactive with your supply chain management rather than reactive. Yeah. Just to tie that up, Jake mentioned a couple, but kind of the comparison to Peloton, uh, besides maybe being able to move to air freight and just kind of incur all those additional costs like immediately overnight. Uh, what are some what are some little things that you know companies can look at rather than buying a, a new manufacturing facility here in the state somewhere? Those are big dollar impacts, can impact the business, and not every organization out there has the opportunity to do that tomorrow. But what are some things that are within their control? They might not be able to change their products or what type of business it is that they that they that they're in right now, but just a couple of things that come to mind on your head that that are in their ability to control that may be something that does make it easier to do business with. Yeah, that's great. We've kicked off some great projects with our customers here uh, proactively for that reason. You want to, you got a couple you want to start yeah, with? I mean, I mean, the first thing that pops into my head is have a person within your logistics circle that is working with the carrier reps and building relationships. Um, the carriers, each one of them is going to have a different set of, you know, shipper of choice type things that'll make it easier to do business uh, with that carrier, uh, whether it's a technology improvement, uh, communicating through APIs, which is pretty much like a web uh, push to their systems and communicating between two uh, online servers and things like that. Um, or maybe it's a just going out Zoom and having Zoom calls with reps and getting to know who they are from a personal perspective that the trucking industry has always been very heavy about relationships. And if you don't have somebody building relationships and continuing relationships, maintaining relationships, improving relationships, you're going to have a problem. Uh, you know, this, this last year, there's been, it's been a crazy year of carriers saying, you know, within the next 24 hours, Hey, we can't unfortunately pick up any more freight here. Uh, there's a, there's major carriers that, uh, implemented that across the United States on you know thousand or so uh, locations all at the same time simultaneously for the next day. And what that does is it floods the rest of the carriers with business that they're just not sure that they're able to handle already in a tight capacity market. So if you've got a good relationship with your carriers that you can tell them, hey, you know we're going to do make it as easy for you as possible to make this pickup. You know, we'll do a drop trailer situation where you just you just drop the freight, you just drop the trailer and come and pick it up and do a swap. With that, we were able to help our customers out um, and find them a solution by the end of the week uh, when it was on. You know, like we found out maybe on a Wednesday. Uh, so within two days, we were able to get all their freight picked up and moved. Um, and that's just due to the relationships that you have with your 
your carriers and making sure that you're maintaining that. So that's a big one. Yeah, I guess I just got back from a, a trip to Kansas and met with a customer there. And one of the things that we talked to them about was consolidation. And one of the one of the big uh, challenges for them is they've just got a culture that says we get a pallet of stuff ready for a customer. We ship it. We ship it that day. It's just what we do. It's who we are. And what we were able to show them is they, they've got their heaviest lane out of their facility in central Kansas went to California. And again, their business culture is we get a pallet ready today. We ship it today. What we were able to show them is the carrier delivering that in California is collecting all your freight for a week's time and delivering all your shipments at the same time on Monday anyway. So you're shipping and incurring the cost to ship every single day throughout the week, but the carrier's delivering them all together once a week anyway. You can consolidate all those shipments, use the trucks that are coming in there, get them all put together, save money, and you're not changing the customer experience because without data and without good visibility, you're paying attention to what leaves your dock. You don't really know over time what's happening on the delivery end, but we were able to show them that all your shipments are delivering together anyway. Why not ship them all together anyway? And it was a six-figure transportation savings. And because of the current carrier market right now, at least one of the five shipments in the week before they would have shipped individually isn't going to pick up on time anyway. So you're, you're, you're making a commitment to your customer you can't keep by shipping it every day. And in the end, it's all delivering at the same time. So look for some consolidation opportunities. They're out there right now. And that's just part of a larger... Uh, process we're rolling out to our customers of truck utilization. We've got a couple of large truckload shippers here who are shipping eight to 10,000 pounds of heavy product and calling it a truckload for the same reason. We, we got to get the shipping out to the customer. This is what we got ready. So we're going to send it right now. You're not fully utilizing that truck. And there's only so much capacity out there right now. So you know, talk to the experts within your own uh, facility talk to your, your 3PL experts and find out ways to consolidate. It makes sense right now that the network's not moving at the same pace at the same speed everyone's used to. And the consolidation opportunities typically at this point in the market are not gonna change your customer's experience. They're just gonna make it easier for you to do business and, and less expensive for you to do business right now. And I think, I mean, a good segue off of the consolidation of freight into larger shipments um, for a cost benefit, uh, a secondary, um, a, a tangent to that would be the consolidation of the LTL freight industry. So I think it's something that we should talk about in regards to what's going on um, in the LTL industry, especially over the last, two, I mean, two, three years uh, with the recent central freight lines uh, closure, the uh, consolidations of AAA, Cooper, and MME, in uh, the acquisition that they had by Night Swift, closures of LME, uh, New England Motor Freight, uh, and then the consolidation of the Ella brands. Um, we were talking the other day about opportunities to price out, uh, you know, send out uh, RFPs, which is request for pricings, uh, to our carrier partners. And what we started to realize is our list is just dwindling. Uh, the opportunities for us to send out more and more of these. Um, is getting smaller and smaller because of uh, the consolidation of this market. And while it's beneficial to uh, the shippers in some ways, because uh, these carriers are getting uh, bigger footprints, um, there's more revenue under one company to make large adjustments. The technology improvements are there because of uh, a, a stronger company and we're in general. Uh, these consolidations and these closures are just creating a tighter capacity. Um, and what a lot of people don't realize is in these consolidations and in these closures is a lot of legwork that needs done. So with already tight staffing, the ability to maneuver around and analyze what a closure or a consolidation of a carrier does to your business is imperative. So having a, a partner who can help uh, with those analysis and with those uh, transitions or technology um, updating, you know, SCAC codes in your systems um, so that stuff, uh, so that uh, your rates don't pull and that you can still quickly quote your customers accurate rates is imperative. Yeah, that's good. That's good, Jake. 
you know, we talked a little bit about the LTL market as well. There's a lot of activity and, and kind of talk in the industry about things that are going on there. A lot of them are even around like accessorial charges and different different elements that the carriers are coming out. You know, one of the new ones here this year is uh, peak shipping season, peak season even in the LTL side. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on from the LTL perspective with various accessorial charges and other pricing pressure that's that's put on shippers these days? Yeah, there's. so I just mentioned in the consolidation and closure market, the need for a quick technological system so that you can avoid problems within your uh, supply chain. Uh, it's the same thing occurs for the accessorial adjustments that we've seen this year uh, because of the capacity issues, because of COVID, um, because of the e-commerce boom. There's so many new accessorials out there that the systems just weren't built for how quickly these things were coming out. I know that if you're a shipper and you've implemented APIs um, directly to the carriers, you know, you just haven't built out your things to accommodate for these at the speed in which they've updated them. So I'm sure that's been a, a, a challenge and, a, and a, a hard point for you this, this previous year. And it's going to continue to be a problem moving forward. If you're not investing in technology, you're not working with somebody that has a strong technological um, platform to handle these things. So the accessorial adjustments that we've seen, you'd mentioned peak season, you, you'd mentioned uh, some of these other like uh, high cost restrictions or high cost fees because of, uh, you know, there was a, a recent mudslide up in, in Canada, which I know is not domestic, but similar things have happened in domestically as well with, you know, the, the freezing in Texas and uh, what I'm sure is going to come with snowstorms uh, in the Northeast here in, in, in the winter. So what you're going to continue to see is just these implementations of surcharges that are relayed to you at a slow speed, slower than what you would need to implement them if you're not, as I mentioned earlier, talking on a regular basis with your carrier partners. If you're not visiting with them at their corporate offices, if you're not seeing them at conferences, you're just not going to be in tune to all the changes that are coming on. And that was seen last year in relation to the overdimensional fees and the changes that happened there. So if you weren't talking or communicating with your partner, you might have found out a week after the fact that what used to be a you know, $70, $80 fee for an overdim shipment is now $1,000 or $500. Um, and you would have found that out after the fact because you weren't working with somebody that's telling you prior to the changes going in, into um, effect. So. Those are some of the big things in relation to accessorials. Anything you guys have in relation to that as well? No, just to, we we manage those here uh, for our customers through technology and through relationships, like you yeah. said, Jake. So um, make sure you're utilizing the technology you have available for you, or um, it's it's available out in the marketplace right now. Um, that technology is going to help you implement, but your relationships are going to give you the information proactively, no doubt about it. And another thing on that, not just the implementation of it, but the analysis of it. How is that going to affect your how is that going to affect your current business? Um, what can you do to mitigate or to uh, leverage the cost by you know passing it on to your customer or by uh, finding some other uh, valuable things that you can get from the carrier being that shipper of choice, you know, sometimes paying more can get you better benefits um, in other areas. So uh, leveraging those increased surcharges and those fees to get a better service is, is something that's out there as well. So the other big change, oh, go ahead. You have something there? One question just that, that we've gotten more when we're out talking to, uh, to new prospective customers is about that peak season charge. You know, is that something it's been obviously on, on the ocean container side for peak season and certain things for, for a number of years, parcel implemented in parcel several years ago, just because of the e-commerce boom. Now it's hitting e-commerce. So as Matt, as you mentioned earlier in, in the conversation, you know, each of these modes, as they expand, they will bleed over and have an impact in the other modes of transportation. The question we get a lot here recently is, is this peak season thing going to stay forever on LTL? Is it only for a period of time seasonally? Um, if it is seasonally, like, do we have any idea of when that peak season would be considered over? Or is that, is that indefinite at this point? Do you have any, any feedback on that? 
Well, after the years of 2020 and 2021, I think we've realized that making these assumptions for when this is going to be done is just longer and longer than our expectation is. Um, now, I remember saying at the end of 2020, man, I can't wait for end of Q4 of 2021 because I feel like there's going to be a definite slowdown. And we just haven't seen that. The new, This is the new norm. This is um, what, what we're seeing right now, we just don't see solutions to some major problems. And in, until we see a major improvement in drivers, autonomy, a major technological improvement in autonomous trucks, if that's even something that we'll be able to get to in the future, uh, I just don't see there being a let up in peak season surcharges or in these additional fees. That's right. And they, and they might not call it a peak season surcharge by by the yeah. by the end of the first quarter, but carriers are finding a way to pass along costs to their customers. They do it through um, a huge spike in overdimensional charges, like Jake said, a charge going from $100 to $1,000. They're trying to disincentivize, disincentivize people from shipping that freight in LTL. But the fact of the matter is, there's no place else for it. It's going to stay there. So maybe there's not a peak season surcharge, Matt, when we get to February, but you're just going to see, um, like we saw this morning in the, in the Journal of Commerce article that came out, everybody's going to have a rate increase and a higher rate increase next year than probably they've ever had in my working lifetime. So maybe the peak season surcharge goes away, but now you're just going to pay more in your rates. And we haven't talked about the escalation in fuel surcharge over the last couple of years either, but we've got a 40%, almost 50% gain in diesel fuel prices over the course of the last 18 to 24 months here too. So you're paying more for your rate, then you're paying a higher fuel surcharge because the percent is higher on an already higher rate as well. So it's like we talked about before, if your strategy right now is to hunker down in your bunker and just hope that all this goes away in the next month or two, you're going to be two more months behind the curve. This is here to stay for the foreseeable future, certainly for the next year if not beyond. So the strategy can't be wait till the peak season surcharge goes away and then we'll start charging our customers customers more or we'll start shipping a different way. This is it. This is where we're at. You got to survive and you got to thrive in this environment. And, and just like a personal example of that is, you know, the other day I was, I was at home uh, and I heard, I heard a collapse and what it was, was a, a, dr a drawer within our cabinet collapsed. And there's a small little piece that, you know, we have to purchase to replace it so that I can, my wife can be happy and slide her uh, food cabinet in and out or whatever. Um, so when I went and looked up online, that piece, uh, the, the, uh, the piece itself was sold out and they said it, it wasn't going to be in for months. Uh, and then after that, there was a four to six shipping uh, week delay on it as well. So in um, looking at it, I had to get creative. I found a piece that would work with it, but it was more expensive. There was limited quantity of it. So what I did is I just purchased all of them, as many as I could, because I knew that more than one of these cabinet doors is going to break, break. When one of them broke, there, I know that the rest of them are going to break. So what I had to do was shift my perspective from hunkering down, buying that one piece, because I knew it was going to be more expensive right now than if I could wait for that, you know, the plastic instead of the steel piece to to come in. I just decided, hey, I've got to buy all of them right now because I'm not sure how long it's going to take for once these sell out to get the rest of them in. So you've got to change. Our, we've got to change our perspective on inventory levels. We've got to change our perspective on buying patterns. We've got to. We've really got to change. Um, you know, looking at hey, I've, I've used this product this way for a long time. We've got to transition packaging from, you know, cardboard to, you know, steel banding, or we've got to, we've got to look at every viable solution. We've got to overturn every stone, which is really hard to do right now in a staffing environment that's already difficult. So, but what it means is we've just got to keep hammering away uh, in 2022 um, because it's just not going to let up. That's good. Well, guys, we've, we've talked about a lot of stuff here in, in the entire marketplace as it relates to supply chain and transportation. At the end of the day, there's a lot of challenges that we've been through. There's also a lot of challenges that are not necessarily going to go away or be solved here anytime soon. I think the thing to remember is 
from our perspective, there's not any one company or any one individual that's going to be able to change the landscape of what's going on in the marketplace right now. And I think what we need to be aware of is, you know, do we have the resources and the expertise to be able to navigate through these waters? If we do, we're in a much better position than if we don't. If we don't have those resources and expertise available, it's one of those areas where more and more companies are looking for outside partners to be able to help navigate them through those waters. And you know, really, a team that you can rely on, partnerships, uh, those are things that are going to be able to help you and help drive. I mean, uh, more heads are better than one. Um, what we want to do on our side in general with anybody is just be able to proactively look at what can we do to make our business better you know, as we, as we explored ways that we can improve working with carriers and becoming a preferred, preferred shipper, it's how much more efficient can we be? Matt and Jake, you both mentioned opportunities of, you know, looking to be more, uh, more efficient, potentially consolidate uh, orders to make it easier on your carrier, but also have the same net effect on your customer, you know, looking at um, really dissecting your loading and unloading times. How long does it take for drivers to get in and get out of there? If it's too long, it's not going to be attractive to be able to come in and stop at your dock. I mean, the more little things that you can do to make it efficient on them, the better. Same thing with shipping hours. Jake, you mentioned that earlier. We've had more and more customers willing to extend things from a shipping hour perspective to be able to get trucks to come in there than we ever have before. But it's because we have to have companies that are willing to uh, be more attractive to the companies that, that they want to partner with and be able to come in and, and move their products. Um, in an environment in which we are in today, technology is great because again, help us automate. It can help us become more efficient, but these markets and these environments don't allow for technology to be the end all be all to fix everything. You know, in transportation in normal times, things don't always go according to plan. But in a market in which we're in now, that number is magnified on shipments, orders, pieces of pieces of product and communication that you have to have with your vendors or your customers on what's going on in real time. And sometimes you got to have manpower and people behind that technology so that you can find out what's really going on. The worst thing and the last thing that, that you want to get is a call from your customer saying, hey, where, where's my shipment? Or from your production supervisor to say, hey, where's our raw material that was supposed to be in and operating on our production line today? Those are problems. As soon as you hear those things, you're immediately in firefighting mode. Being able to get out and get proactive and be able to understand what's really going on and have visibility to your supply chain and is what's really going to move the needle. And no one can promise to turn upside down and change the marketplace that we're in, but there's partners out there that can promise to give you visibility and they can communicate and they can respond to what you're looking for. And, and those are really areas that, that you want to you wanna be. You want to have a proactive supply chain rather than reacting. Any companies out there that have a supply chain strategy, it's a proven proven fact, they're more profitable than companies that don't have a supply chain strategy. And so as, we, as we're as we signing out and heading into the new year of 2022, um, there's a lot of those things on the agenda on how can you improve your business and how can you get better? Uh, we're, we're looking forward to a great and prosperous 2022. I want to thank Matt and Jake for being here with us today and talking through some of the things that are going on within the marketplace. I want to wish everybody a happy and healthy 2022, and we're signing off. Thanks, everybody.